But what I know about is Texas. And down here, you're on your own. Hey, what's it? Your husband. I got a job for you. It's not strictly legal. You want me to kill him? Ray, let's get out of here. <laughs> what do you want to do? What do you want to do? funny is if it's not you she's sleeping with, it's someone else. What's really going to be funny is when she gives you that look and says, I don't know what you're talking about. He looks stupid now. We are recording. Welcome to Movie the Podcast. That's right, Movie the Podcast. It is week one of October Noir. October Noir, yeah. Um, we watched Touch of e- No Blood Simple. What's Touch, Touch of, of Evil? evil? What's like, Touch of Evil? Touch of Evil is a great movie. Oh, yeah, that's okay. an Orson Welles movie. Orson Welles movie. It doesn't sound like a noir. It is actually. It is. Real. Yeah. Guess what we're watching next week? I guess it's really good. But anyway, we Charles, watched Charlton Heston plays a Mexican guy. Oh. Yeah, me and me and Kobe went and saw it at the Charles, and the guy had like a snifter of brandy, <laughs> like legit, like like swirling it. It was fucking ridiculous. It was two hundred degrees in the theater. Oh my god! <laughs> well, there good, good movie though. Well, there yeah. you have it. We're all here. Yeah, Ravens getting it done. That's right. Stuff. So did Washington somehow. Washington also winning. Yeah, America. All right. Uh, so yeah, we watched Blood, the Coen Brothers' first film, Blood Simple, um, because I was tired of watching horrible movies. Mm. So we watched the good movie. Did you guys watch it together? Uh, me and Gogs watched it together. Oh, Alec watched it autonomously. <laughs> That's how I do most things. <laughs> uh, so uh, you know, let's do what we do. What we do what we do. What did you all watch this week? Gogs, you said you watched like a hundred things. I watched four things. That's close to a hundred. Yeah, it's closer than zero, I guess. Um, <laughs> it actually, it's not. So I watched. So I watched four things. Yeah, I man. watched. How would it not be close? Never mind. So uh, I watched because I was listening to that that films to be buried with podcast got me on a Neil Marshall kick. So I rewatched The Descent. That movie is gross. That's a cool movie. Uh, fun. Real, real quick. Uh, I know we've talked about this a million times. Do you th- like? I think that movie's scary enough without the monsters. Your it's thoughts? Scarier, it's scarier without the monsters. Right. The monsters are fine. I'm not mad at the monsters, but it is the scene where she almost gets crushed. And this isn't a spoiler. Alert. There's a scene where a woman is like snaking her way through through a, a very tight cavern. Yeah. And it's before the idea that the cave is even going to like come in on her, like. There's a part where she's just stuck in like one of these like little like snake your body through caverns, and I'm like, oh, that's a legit nightmare. Like you're a yeah. mile underground, and they even set it up scary because they're like, yeah, we're in an uncharted cave. Like just the idea of being off the grid with no help in buried, effectively buried alive, terrifying. More about that later. More about that later. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> Neil Marshall's uh, Descent, probably his most commercially successful film. I gotta guess. Did it do well? It had to do better than the fucking uh, than uh, Doomsday, and it had to do better than um, was it the Eagle Centurion? Oh, One of those I two. thought Doomsday made a shitload of money for some reason, or maybe it's just because like people I know like it. He made Centurion. I love. He that made movie. Centurion. He made Doomsday. He made because it had the same chick in it. Yeah, Uga, Uga Olga. Yeah, the one from um, uh, oh, Quantum of Solace. Hitman. Yes. Yeah. Amen. Hitman, Hitman, not Ant Man. No, not Ant Man. But like Ant Man, Ant a good movie. So I watched that. Uh, I unfortunately, uh, with my son, watched uh, M Night Shyamalan's uh, The Last Airbender, 
Uh, and after watching old last week, it was like, wow, this is, um, he can't, people don't know how to speak good in his movies and it's just terrible. And my, how poor- long is that movie? Very, it's very long. <laughs> and, uh, it was, my kid loved it cause he loves the, the show and he was all excited about it. Like he was like, the entire time we're watching in the basement, he's like dancing around doing his bending, oh, shit. but like. It ends on a big cliffhanger because Shyamalan figured, oh, this is going to be a franchise. And that was 2010, and they're never making another one. So my son's like, I can't wait to see the next one. I was like, going to have to. Yeah. Um, well, I'm so, sure he's all pumped about your family's history of pork bending or whatever it is that you yeah. do. <laughs> yeah, we, we, have a, we have a very strong meat bending lineage. What else do I want? He moves his hand around like roasts appear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I watched uh, a movie called. I'm gonna get the title wrong. I keep bodging. I watched a movie called "They Look Like People," which is an incredibly short movie that was on. I think it's on Shutter and it's also on Tubi. If they're saying it's an hour and twenty minutes, but I swear to God, when I opened it up, it was like seventy six minutes long. Um, it's a really interesting, very extremely low budget psychological horror movie that's like super small with this like really like. Uh, it, it's almost got actually a feel like the movie, the other movie you and I watched together. It almost feels like yeah. cheap thrills. Like it's a very small movie, um, just a, a, like four four people in the whole movie. Um, it was interesting. I liked it a lot. I had never heard of it before. Like one of the algorithms recommended it for me, so it's on Tubi. I think it's like if it's not on Prime, it's on Shutter. Um, they look like people. And it's it's this weird, like it's one of these movies where you don't know if the guy's insane or if there's really like a demonic possession thing going on. And exploring that is a lot of fun. And there's some really cool visuals in it. So I recommend that film. There's no one in it. There's nobody in that movie. And then the fourth thing, I guess, is tabled because uh, TJ and I both watched uh, a second film together. Mm. So that that's it for me until we get to that. All right. And you pass the mic too, Sean. Nothing, Alec. Nothing, TJ. Wow. Uh, I watched two things. Two things. Uh, we'll start with the tabled one first, since God just got finished talking. We watched a movie that I had already seen, but I really liked it, so it showed up on on Shutter. I think it was right. Yeah. And it was like, oh, we're gonna watch this again. I watched. We watched a movie called Cheap Thrills. Yeah. The movie rules. Yeah, you've seen it, right, Sean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's like a. a it's- it's almost like Coenzy in the way that it starts out yeah. kind of small and it gets completely out of control. Yeah, it's it's basically like a Saw kind of movie. The the premise is pretty simple. Like this guy, this da- this guy is like down and out. He's he's about to be evicted from his apartment. Like he's just got fired from his job, and then he goes to a bar because he's had like the worst day, and he 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 runs into an old like high school acquaintance who has got kind of a seedy past, like he's been to jail, like also not doing very well. Did he go to that bar to intentionally reconnect? No. Or was it? Okay. No, I think it was completely coincidental. Okay. Um, because remember when he sees him, he's like, hey man, you know, you remember me? Like, I don't think he went, he didn't go there with the intentions of running into Ethan Embry, who is amazing. In the he movie. really is. Ethan Embry. Yeah. Yeah. Ethan Embry yeah. And then he disappears quick. again from the earth. Yeah. Well, um, he, uh, well, actually I did some research on that during the movie. He's, he's got 101 acting credits, including an active recurring, including an active recurring role, 80 episodes on some TV show I've never seen. But he is still doing work. He is outstanding in this movie, though. What's the show? Yeah. Called? The show is called it's like Grace Under Fire or something. It's uh, that was a different show. <laughs> I'll, I'll have it in a minute. <laughs> anyway, the Brett Butler show. Yeah, I remember that show. I don't think he was on that. So, <laughs> go ahead. So he runs into Ethan Embry. They reconnect, but then they run into this eccentric rich guy david keckner who's also amazing in this who's fantastic and he basically keeps he he's like hey i'll give you 500 dollars to hit on that girl like it starts out with these innocuous challenges and then eventually he's like all right we'll come back to my apartment and we're gonna have some real fun and like stuff just goes from there god you can talk about it now i feel like i've talked about it enough i mean it's 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 bonkers it just turns into as i was watching i was like it's like if you took that one scene from Four Rooms, uh, where they're like flicking the bick, and they just made a whole movie sort of about that. 
David Koechner is charming and menacing. Um, yeah, playing like <laughs> way against type. Yeah, like the two leads are just tremendous. It's the movies. It's shocking and it's like visceral. It yeah. was. It's a movie I never would have watched, and I'm really glad that I've seen it now. It's and, and it's like very violent. It's like, very violent. The violent is like the violence is like grounded and realistic. Like, but there's also sort of a weird like wholesomeness, not wholesomeness, but there's a real. There's like a lot of reality and like that in like the people's like desperation. I'm not sure if I would call it wholesome. Not wholesome. Well, they, they, uh, well, I don't want to spoil. It's it. earnest. Like, yeah. It, yes, it's earnest. Yeah. Um, goes to camp. And they like <laughs> it's it's St. James Island. <laughs> it's super, it's super good. I'm really glad I saw it. And so the, the show he I wasn't far off. It's called Grace and Frankie. That's the and show on he's Netflix. been on. Oh, that has uh it has what's Lily Tomlin? Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda. And it also has Martin what? Sheen. It has the uh, Sam Waterston. June Diane Rayfield. Jesus Christ is a show from like the 70s and they just photoshopped him into it. Was everybody so fucking old? Grace and Frankly, <laughs> 2015 to 2021, he's in 81 Damn. episodes. Recording oh, sure. character. Yeah. So he's, he's out there doing work. He's out. He is just absolutely outstanding. In this he's movie, so though. good in Chief Rolls. And I couldn't believe that was the same guy from Can't Hardly Wait. The other actor is really good too. And I only know him from like one other thing. He's a, he's a minor character in Ghost World. Um, <laughs> He plays the racist comic book store owner, but he's been in other yeah. stuff. I, I remember most from Ghost World. Uh, but it's a really good movie. It's on Shutter. Highly recommended. And it's tight too. It's an hour. It's like an hour twenty eight. It's very short. Yeah, um, they spent like a hundred thousand dollars on the movie. It's like very cheap. Yeah, it's a, a solid movie. Um, the other thing I watched is uh, a movie called uh, a Titan. I guess that's how you say it. It's I, not Titan. Well, I think it's the French word for titanium. I oh, think. Okay. I think. Um, so this was di- written and directed by the same woman that made a movie called Raw, which I really liked. Hell yeah. Years ago. And, uh, <laughs> is absolutely bonkers. Uh, it's not a spoiler cause it's in the synopsis, the official synopsis, but basically this, this woman who's a stripper and also a serial killer gets impregnated by a car. And then the movie kind of starts like <laughs> it's. That's in the first act. Oh yeah, that's in like the first like fifteen minutes, and like it the to, to say she's like a stripper. She's like a stripper at like a car show. It's the weird like the sequence is awesome. Like the way it's shot and like the way, but like it's such a weird set piece. Like right off the bat, you're like, what the hell is this movie? Somewhere and, and David Cronenberg rolls a single tear. Well, it's very Cronenberg. It reminded me a lot of Crash. It reminded me a lot of like Tetsuo the Iron Man in a weird way because they they have this like weird fetishization of like manufacturing and cars. And but then like I don't want to give anything away because the movie has a lot of twists and turns. But like it ends on like kind of like a wholesome note. Like I the only other movie I can compare it to is like with its level of depravity that ends up in this kind of weird wholesome place is like Visitor Q. It reminded hmm. me of that. like I I loved it though. It's like nothing you're ever gonna see. I, I thought I, that was it, it your letterbox review that says that the her getting impregnated by the car is the least insane thing that happens in the movie. Yeah, it's <laughs> oh my God. it's fantastic, and it's also like insanely gross. Like it's a body horror movie, and like they mean that like full. Is, like is like, the baby a like I, I don't know if this is a spoiler, but I, I'm curious. Is it like a full-on baby car hybrid with like metal parts and skin and shit? I don't want to give anything away. Okay, that, that just isn't text revealed. me. It really isn't revealed until like the last scene of the movie, but yeah. like it's cool. Like what? It's like and the whole thing is like. Is I, it like a baby Optimus Prime? No, no but again, you got to see it. And it's also, like a Thomas the Tank Engine. Also, not to like bodily give forward. everything away, but like the baby is kind of like it's like a it's like an obvious metaphor. Like I know the movie. Like, I was telling the guys... The baby represents obviousness. <laughs> Is it a metaphor for parenthood? Cars. I was trying to... Like, I was saying this to the guys before the, 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 the when we were talking during the football game. But, like, the movie is definitely a movie that pushes the audience's buttons. But, like, in a lot of different ways because it also deals with, like, sexuality in, like, a very... Like, it confronts you very hardcore with, like, stuff that a lot of people would find uncomfortable. Like, it, it definitely... I think that the movie... I think that one of the underlining themes of the movie is like a trans analogy. And I, I don't know. I loved it. I thought it was fucking brilliant. I don't think like, it's just so unique and different and wild and like it's shot well. And it's, 
it's violent and it makes you think and like it, you won't walk away from this movie going even if you hated it like you're gonna be thinking about it for a while and i think that's a mark of a, of a good movie i i loved it i can't recommend it enough a uh, huge fan my my movie of the year like i don't know if anything is going to top this movie because i fucking loved it i can't well, wait you to didn't watch see it. venom let there be carnage right venom Oh, uh, but yeah, that's all I watched. So that's it. Uh, mm-hmm. That's everybody, right? Let's ever keep it tight. Uh, yeah, that's everybody. So, Gogs, what happened in Blood Simple? Wow. Oh, real quick, before you launch into it, there yes. are four versions of this movie that you can see. There's the theatrical oh. version, which is on a VHS, and there's a second VHS where they lost the rights to the same old song, so it's replaced with some Neil Diamond song. Weird. There's a third version, which is a Blu-ray I have, that's not this one, where it has an introduction uh, by Mortimer Young of it's a made-up like a BFI kind of thing, where like the preservation of film. So it introduces have, the movie as that. a movie. That's, yeah, yeah, I have that one too. Yeah, yeah, and that. then in the, this version, the Criterion version, has some stuff cut out, and that scene is not in it at all. So what's interesting is it's funny you bring that up. There's a version of the Big Lebowski. That, that has that, my, yeah. That yeah. my yeah my my in laws have that has this guy introducing it as mm-hmm. it's the same so what, thing. what they call it in France the Grand Lebowski. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading that the director's cut is shorter than the theatrical cut. Yeah, by like two or three minutes. Yeah, not by a lot, but yeah, which is they unusual. Would, they would take something out. So what cut did we watch? Was it the director's? This cut? is the criteria. The one you put up on on a. Uh, on Plex is the Criterion cut. That's the most recent cut of it. Oh, okay. Well, it's the first I don't time even I've, know I, how this. I don't even know how this movie functions without that four top song in it. Like, it's got to be very weird. I, I, replacing it with Neil Diamond would certainly seem odd to me. Yeah. Um. So anyway, oh, before we get into it, just I was I was googling just fun fact: Cheap Thrills based on a uncredited short story by Roald Dahl. What? Oh yeah. shit. Yeah, weird shit. Anywho, um, so this movie's actually pretty straightforward in its convolutedness. Um, well, I mean, it sort of is, right? Because you've got in what way? So you because you've got a whole bunch of people not realizing what other people are doing. It's convoluted for the people in the movie. It's convoluted. Right. But it's, straight, it's straightforward for the viewer. Oh, it's I very gotcha. obvious okay. for the viewer. Right, that makes sense. But for like the people experiencing it, right? Like it's like lots of twists and turns. So movie opens. With um, uh, a very, very attractive uh, Francis McDormand. Right. Uh, like, are you comfortable? Like, I it took me a while to be comfortable with being horny for Francis McDormand. Like, I got instantly comfortable with it. Like, I yeah. got, I couldn't have been, it couldn't have happened any faster. I honestly <laughs> didn't even realize it was her until like halfway through the movie. I think, I, was, I think that, that might have been the first words out of my mouth once it started. I looked at TJ and I go, Francis McDormand was kind of a smoke show. Like, she was attractive back in the day. Um, so yeah, there we go. Just undercut an entire career of Joel, a wonderful actress. Joel Cohen was like, "Oh yeah," and yeah. then like ten years later, he was like, "Oh no." <laughs> but, I mean, but she's, she's just one of those people that seems like she was born forty. You know what I mean? Like, just like M. Emmett Walsh, like TJ. Yeah. That conversation was like, "Was he ever a young man?" Oh, I thought you were about to say when M. Emmett Walsh was hot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's always been. <laughs> he's very hot in this movie. He's always sweating, and yeah, it's kind of funny. Um. What the fuck? Oh, when uh, Ned Beatty died, I'm like, I love Ned Beatty. And then every time I try to think of a movie I liked him in, it was actually Emma Walsh. <laughs> so, wait, was that Ned Beatty? Was Ned Beatty the second lead in this movie? Lightfeet. No. Who's the, who's the, who's the second lead? Who's Dan Hedaya. No, no, not Dan Who's the guy that she's banging? Oh, Ray? Uh, John Ray. Belt or something like that? He's not, he's not, he's not nobody, right? He's not Ned He's been Beatty. in a lot of stuff, but he's always, he's mainly been a bad guy and stuff. Yeah. Oh, because Ned Beatty's fucking um, what's his name? Lex Luthor's stooge in Superman. John yeah. Getz. He so, was the Ned Beatty was the evil warden, and uh, he got game. Oh, correct. Oh, yeah, that's correct. right. So, uh, so the movie opens with Francis McDormand and this guy Ray just going down the road in a rainstorm, and an incredibly every time the headlights came through, it was super tense for me because I didn't know what this movie was going to do, and I just kept waiting. You knew for nothing it. about this. I knew nothing about this movie. Okay. I watched this cold, right? So I expected, like, are they going to get into a car crash? There was so much tension in this first scene. And it's her having this conversation with this guy, Ray, about what you find out is, like, her crazy husband played by just a marvelous Dan Hedaya. 
Yeah, he's right. yeah. fantastic in this movie. And so Danaday owns a is it a strip club or just a bar? It's a bar. It's, a bar. it's like a honky tonk, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and so and this guy raised a bartender there, and then you've got basically his uh Francis McDormand's trying to get away and Ray likes her and it's just like, you know what's implied that Dan Hiday is like an abusive husband. And a scumbag, right? Because you watch him yeah. try to pick up on that chick in front of Maurice. Um, Maurice with the subtitles like I had no idea it was spelled like that till this time yeah we were all saying we said that too while you were watching it so they go to some hotel and they smoosh but then uh, <laughs> uh, sweaty ass M. Emmett Walsh uh, took some jagoff pics of it M. Emmett Walsh has got some pretty sophisticated photoshop skills he does for 1984 yeah so, so M.M.O. Walsh presents these to Dana Day because Dana Day had her follow because he doesn't trust her and he is like, I don't know if he's going to bang And you. he's right. And he's, no, he's, he's right. He's like, he, 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 he's like, he tells the guy, Ray, he's like, she's not banging you, she's banging somebody. So get out of here. I'm not giving you your money. It's all about money. There's a right? really effective scene. It's that same speech where Dan Day is like, it's like you you don't have to trust me, but like when she like looks at you with those innocent eyes. I'm not doing like, anything funny. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, man. So yeah, because it comes back. Oh, real quick, before I forget about it, I'm sorry, I don't mean to derail this. I don't know if I just missed it, but in the cut I have, when they're in the Volkswagen together, Walsh and Hedaya, there's a scene where a fly, like, lands on M.M. Yeah, Walsh. It's still there. It's still there. Okay. Right. There's right. another scene where a fly lands on M.M. at Walsh. It's really gross. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. like, right by his eye. Yeah. Like, yeah. On his mm-hmm. eye. like, how? How do you... I must have looked away, action? yeah. So M.M. at Walsh presents this to Dan Day. Dan Day gets all angry. There's some confrontation between everybody. Effectively, uh, Francis McDormand has now left Dan Hedaya. He's getting all hot and bothered and out of sorts. And so he goes to see M.M. at Walsh, and he's like, I want you to fucking kill these two. And and, and earlier in the movie, you're introduced to what we will refer to as uh, Francis McDormand's checkoff gun, uh, which is in her purse with three rounds in it. And that round count, they did a very good job with that. Um, throughout the film that becomes like sort of the connecting thread almost through the whole movie. So it's sitting in her purse. Uh, M.M. Walsh like, go, go down to Corpus Christi, go fishing. When you get back, everything will be taken care of and you owe me $10,000. So M.M. Walsh goes to Ray's house. Uh, he breaks in, he steals <laughs> McDormand's gun. Next thing you know, he's calling Dana Dea saying it's done. Come back. He comes back. Dan Day comes back with some fish. They leaves on his desk for I don't know a fortnight, a week. Yeah. Uh, he covers up M.M. at Walsh's lighter, which actually never comes back. Which was apparently weird. that lighter, the way it I forget, it says something on it, like number one Eagle it's Scout, um, yeah, Elks lighter. Man of the Year or something. Yeah, her Louis. But yeah, but, but that's, that's only in the director's cut. Like the the engraving doesn't show up or something in the other. So I guess that was important for them to show in this for some reason. Well, because I, I kept waiting for that to show back up because he couldn't find it in one scene. Yeah. But he, when he goes back to the offices, he doesn't retrieve it. Yeah, he doesn't. He just it. tries to break into the safe. Right. So M.M. at Walsh shows up. He presents these pictures of dead Ray and dead Frances McDormand, whose name, what's her name? I can't remember her name. Uh, uh, Meredith. Is Meredith? Suzanne. Okay, fine. Suzanne. So we're going to call her Suzanne for the rest of the movie. She probably has a name. It was not Suzanne. So Penny. Uh, he goes through and. <laughs> He gives him the pictures, and now Dan Day has this wonderful turn where it's like he's suddenly coming to the grips with what he has ordered. I love this scene. He yeah. throws up. He goes to the bathroom. He goes into his safe. He grabs ten grand from M.M. Walsh. And Abby. Her name is Abby. He hands him ten grand. We all found that out at the same time. The the fish is sitting there on Dan Day's desk, over top of M.M. Walsh's lighter. M.M. Walsh then gets the picture back, gets the ten grand. Pops Dan Hedaya one time in the chest with Abby's gun, cocks the gun, l- kicks it in basically in the path of travel of the door and leaves. So he is, it's like, okay, this is, this is kind of fucking wild. Then the next thing you know, Ray, who is owed money by Dan Hedaya, shows up at the bar to collect. He kicks the gun, gun goes off. So that's the second round fired out of this thing. Finds Dan Hedaya bleeding on the ground. Does a really weird job of trying to sop it up with his windbreaker. Yeah, yeah, he sucks. He finds Abby's gun and he's like, "Oh fuck, Abby did this. Yeah, I got a protector, so I've got to take care of this." 
Well, I think they, it was it was a smart move to make it that very obvious pearl handled. Uh, what did exactly. Patton call it? A pimp in a New Orleans whorehouse gun. So like everybody would recognize this thing. It's yeah, not it's just very, some, it's very yeah. clearly her gun, right? Um. So then he gets. Sorry, fixing something here. He he's like, okay, I got to take care of this, and so he like half asses himself, and he's like, I think for half a second he's thinking about burning. Him in the incinerator dumpster the, that's the, behind the, the club. The incinerator that's just a dumpster that's always on fire. Yeah. <laughs> like it's the most efficient uh, incinerator. <laughs> no. And then you're like hucking furniture and shit into yeah. it for no reason. <laughs> so then he goes out to the side of the road. He pulls over for something, comes back to the car, and you find out Danadea is still alive. And he's crawling away down the, oh. down the street in like this horrific manner, right? And he pulls out this shovel and looks oh. like he's going to just brain him. And he doesn't. He loads him back into his car, takes him out to the well, middle of a well, field. He loads him back in his car because a car comes by. A big old Remember, truck. Comes he has by, to yeah. like hide him. But then after that, drives out of the field and he gets buried. Danadea gets buried alive. But he had planted, uh, Ray had planted uh, Abby's gun on uh, on Danadea. Danadea pulls it off, squeezes off, squeezes the trigger twice, manages to not catch that third round. Uh, Ray takes the gun back and then buries him alive, which yeah, is just which is a like nightmare. A brutal here's, scene. This is, here's something I've kind of struggled with over like viewings of this movie. Does he bury him alive out of sadism, or does he bury him alive because he doesn't have like the he, like, he can't kill actually him. kill him? Yeah, that's he what, doesn't have an in it to kill him. That's, that's what, what I took. That's it. what I think it is. Like because I think at first, I think before he he lets him crawl away and he buries him, alive, it, it's definitely implied that he's going to just bring him with that shovel. Right. And I don't think he can do it. Right. And I think, I mean, and like burying him alive is like, it's, it's, it's a worse, yeah, me too. it's a worse way to kill someone. Clearly it's the, but it's you're the, not physically, but you didn't, you're still like, like, yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, but like you, I watch, didn't kill him. The bullets in the fall. You watch, like, that, yeah. sort of you watch that pile of dirt move. It's yeah. so like, yeah, the way it's, it's like heaving is so, oh, weird. it's a nightmare. God, it's so, I guess it's, you know, I've thought about this before. Like, if you ever came across like an animal that got hit in the road, would you have the like? Would you have the temerity to just like, like you know, kill it, or would you just like, let, I mean, you know I've, what I mean? Like, I've had that happen. So, I mean, yeah, it's happened to, yeah, I had like a, when I lived in Woodbine, I had this. My cat was an outdoor cat, not my choice, but it used to like half kill animals all the time. So I have to get one of my stepdad's freaking rifles and shoot fucking animals all the time. It was awful. I yeah, yeah, I've never had. To I did it like three times. It was fucking terrible. I, I had to I had to scramble the brains on half a bushel of crab one time with an ice pick so they didn't break them. And I couldn't. That was the that's just I couldn't deal with that emotionally. I don't think I could just like. Why did you have to do that? So they wouldn't like when the steam hit them, they wouldn't like lose all oh, their yeah, arms and like, shit. Yeah, you had to yeah. fucking brain them. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So anyway, I yeah no, I don't think I could. I definitely don't know if I could just. I couldn't just do it to a shovel man. A man. Yeah, yeah, I definitely <laughs> couldn't do it to a human being. Oh, no. I'm having an easier time with a man than an animal, especially yes. a man that's a scumbag. Yes, yeah, because like you could at least like like you know not reason with, but like you know there's some kind of um, cognizance of what's going on as opposed yeah, to like just animal, an, I don't know. Animals just like yeah, it's tough. It's trying to get away because it has no idea what's going on. I mean, I'm not proud of what I had to do, uh, but. Uh, the thing I think this movie bragging, bro. The, the thing the thing this movie does very well is that I think like and I, it's one of the reasons it's a it's a fil, it's a neo noir is that like it's a lot of moral gray area right like Gogs mentioned it earlier but when Dan Hedaya is confronted with the news that he successfully had these to him anyway that his hit command was was carried out you know how many movies have we seen. Where somebody's like, oh, get these guys killed, and then they come, boss, they're dead, and they're like, ha, 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 and they like smoke their cigar. Dan Hedaya is so disgusted with himself that he can't, he vomits. It's clearly a crime of passion. Like, he doesn't even, like, he's a piece of shit, but even this has, like, rocked him, and he doesn't know what to do. Like, yeah. it, I think that's pretty awesome. And, and again, like, like Sean said, like, I think it is ambiguous when he's buried alive. Like, is it out of spite, or is it out of his, like, fear of not being able to, like, carry out what he needs to do i think it you can read it either way i know? think it's he loves abby and he wants to protect her so he needs to get rid of this body but at the same time he doesn't have the he, he's he's i don't say he's too much of a coward but he's too he can't be as the wherewithal to end his life himself but he's got to solve the problem well he loves her question mark like i yeah. think he does 
but he's well, very he thinks- easily swayed by Dan Hedaya's suggestion that she's fucking everybody else to the point where when they get back to his place, it's like, well, you want the better, you want the couch. He's like, well, maybe I should get my own place. Like, well, maybe if you feel like you should, you should do that. You know what I mean? Like, he's yeah. immediately very cold to her. I think that he is like enamored with her. I don't think yeah. he's in love with her. You know what I mean? I think like he. Gets, yeah, he's I think it's one of. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's one of those like, what's the Spock like, thing? The having is not a pleasing thing as wanting. It's like now that he has her, he's like, oh, because there's that scene where she's babbling about the psychiatrist, and he's like, basically, do you ever shut up? Yeah. yeah. Hold, hold on, Alec. What were you saying? Sorry. I was saying, how could he? Like, he doesn't even know really who she is at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, that's a good yeah. point. I think one of the first lines, even him asking her if she's the boss's wife, right? <laughs> like, yeah. how could he be in love with her? He has no clue, like, who she is or what, like, what her name is or anything. I think like this is like a very human drama, right? Like, I think that Ray has got himself caught up in something like bigger than himself, like very fast, mm-hmm. and like it's it's all about like, and it's funny because I was talking about this with guys and I were watching it, like. It, it, I don't know. I'm a huge – everybody that listens to the show knows. I'm a huge Coen Brothers mark. Like, I love their movies. And, like, you see so many of their hallmarks in this film. Like, they love these kind of plots that are, like, inter, intersectional and, like, stuff. Like, it, characters are – everything's intertwining, and there's, like, plot bits that, like, go all over the place. Like, they love this kind of stuff. And it's interesting to watch, like, this movie. And they, like, they knew their style right away. You know what I mean? They didn't yeah, grow I, in style. Like, they I didn't, yeah, I didn't know this was a Dashiell Hammett story originally until this viewing either. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I only knew that because I've watched <laughs> the shit about this movie. We'll, we'll also, kind of like, tag it up on what up, you were just talking about. Oh, sorry. Raimi. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh. Well, <laughs> Barry Sonnenfeld shot this, which I find fascinating. Barry but, Sonnenfeld, director of Wild Wild West and Men in Black One, yeah. I think. Uh, uh, one of those is a banger. Men yeah, Black. Men in Black's good. Both of them uh, are Wild Wild West is something I can't believe we haven't watched on the show somehow. They say the N-word in that movie. Oh, Kevin yeah. Randolph says it a lot. Really, he yeah. sinks his teeth into it, too. But... Uh, <laughs> No, I I think this this particular plot is like super relatable because I think we've all been in that situation where it's like, oh man, I'm so infatuated with this woman or whoever, and it's like you you're doing anything to get with them, and then the minute you actually start to get to know them, it's like, oh, I don't like this person very much. Like I like the idea of the person. Yeah, like all the decisions in this movie are made in split second in the heat of the moment, like passionate decisions. When everything's like so fast, right? Like right. everything happens so fast. And you're like you just said, it's like split second decisions. Like everything these are like life altering decisions that they don't they don't sit on at all. This movie also is like super quick. I think it's like a little over an hour and a half long. Yeah. Like, it's like an hour thirty five. Yeah. This cut. Yeah, so yeah. it's like an hour thirty five. So at this point in the movie, right, you've got Dana Day has been buried alive. Ray thinks Abby's done it. Abby is just asleep in the house not knowing anything's Abby going has on. No idea that Dana Day is dead. You've got uh, M. Emmett Walsh realizing that he's like, oh, fuck, I left Dana Day because he's burning all of the fo- – you find out he obviously raised a lot, right? He's photoshopped this this stuff. He's burning all the photographic evidence. He goes to burn the picture he showed Dana Day. He realized Dana Day kept it, so he's like, I need to break into that safe. So then he goes back to the nightclub to find Dana Day's body gone, Yeah, right? So he doesn't know how that got cleaned up. I mean, obviously he was trying to set someone else up for the murder, but he doesn't know how it's been resolved yet. Right. So he's trying to figure that angle out. You've got Abby trying to figure out what the fuck's going on. And then like, like from a voice from beyond uh, Marty, who is Dan Hedaya's character left a voice or left a, a, a message for Maurice, the other bartender like, Hey yeah. Ray, I think race, you know, we're short 10 grand. I think Ray took it. This is on you. And because that's how he hid the money that he was yeah, giving he to M.M. at Walsh. Exactly. So now Maurice is trying to snip out what the fuck is going on. And now, and for the rest of the movie, it's just the noose closing in on everyone, right? You've got Ray trying to figure out, well, he's like trying to protect Abby from something. And he's like, why isn't she admitting it? Because Abby doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Then Abby's like, you did what? Yeah. You killed Marty? Why did you do that? It's like, well, why did you have his, your gun was there? And then M.M. at Walsh is sitting there hanging out in the office. He overhears he sees, I think he sees Ray, and then he sees Abby show up to the to the office and figures, okay, I've got these are more threads that I need to to to, well, to 
off or tie up or this whatever. script is so incredibly tight that there he's uh ray's able to openly talk about her murdering uh marty without her knowing but it doesn't feel contrived at all you yeah, know what i mean yeah, like absolutely. it feels very natural that what he's saying and her not getting the picture and the look on his face that whole time, like that sort of manic, like what the fuck look on his face yeah. during that whole scene in that apartment is is awesome. That apartment so, rules, by the way. I want that apartment. Yeah. Thing, yeah. All those high ceilings. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Triple drapes. Mm. Yeah. I, I uh, <laughs> bring this up because it's gonna it's gonna give us all PTSD. But her apartment reminded me a lot of Lace Samurai's apartment. Uh, you remember his like weird bird like in the cage, like his apartment. Do now. <laughs> His apartment looked very similar to that. I wouldn't be surprised if it was an homage. Lace Samurai pops up on every list of best noir movies I look so up. So bad. That movie sucks. Oh, you didn't like, how upset would you be if, if you saw an interview about this movie and you're like, yeah, we were really inspired by Lace Samurai? Oh. <laughs> oh. Never watched another Coen's Brothers movie. <laughs> I'm glad I never saw it. I'm not. You would not. It's boring. No. You would love it. It's uh, awful. This boring. isn't one of those like, things that like, God it, might it, love it just out of spite. It's yeah. boring. It's shit. It was, yeah. it was too boring for TJ. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> oh, that's boring. <laughs> like, infamous boring movie lover TJ. <laughs> <laughs> I like, mean, like the talkies. Talk, yeah. talk, talk. I mean, I do like boring movies. Just that, 12 that Angry like... Man aficionado. <laughs> 12 Angry Man. That movie's not boring. boring. That movie's boring. No women. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. <laughs> I don't really like that movie. Boring. boring. I do like 12 Angry Men. Yeah, twelve angry Mr. Smiths going to work. <laughs> yeah, twelve angry Smiths. Oh, twelve angry Agent Smiths. <laughs> yeah. Twelve angry Agent Smiths. You probably like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. I do like Glenn Gary. Glenn that Ross. movie's a banger. I do love, love that movie. movie. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely adore Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. So, uh, so now M. Emmett Walsh is like, all right, I gotta put a fucking. You probably like this movie, you <laughs> stupid piece of shit. This movie, I don't adore. So. Uh, <laughs> Walsh uh, uh, goes all silent scope and decides to start murking. <laughs> <laughs> silent scope. It took me a second. Forever. So he's going to shoot uh, Abby and Ray in her apartment, and and Ray's like he figures the the squeeze is coming, and she's just trying to figure out what the fuck's going on. She turns the lights on. Couldn't just turn the lights off again. No. Nope. Yeah. This is going to inspire a conversation me and my wife was making. If I tell you to do it, just don't we'll question it after the fact. I don't want to get my back blown out. This by sequence is so good and so yeah. good. And this is like real Hitchcock. Like this fucking. There's a couple like really bizarre push-ins in this movie. Like there's one where uh, she's leaving the house and Dan Hedaya is coming up. Or no, Dan Hedaya has got her. Yeah. It looks like a dog's coming after him, but it's just this weird like like vertigo push-in. Well, like, like, it happens like a few a, times. Well, it's like Evil Dead, right? Like they yeah. just got done Evil Dead Two. They were helped. They were like, I think cinematographers on Evil Dead Two, and that push in feels like in, like the Evil Dead Two like stuff on yeah. the, the motorbike or whatever they did. Oh, I forgot about that. So, yeah, that's actually a good point. Earlier in the movie, Dan Hedaya showed up at Ray's house and like basically accosted him. That, that happened before he he decided to put the hit out on him, and he got his dick kicked in to the point where he vomited. Literally, yeah. yeah. So anyway. Uh, so now M. Emmett Walsh has shot Ray. Uh, uh, Abby is like hiding. She's playing it real smart. She's like trying to like. She knows where the, the gunfire is coming from. M. Emmett Walsh comes into the uh, the apartment looking for. Her. He kind of tracks in the bathroom, finds a window, and he's very he's very smart. M. Emmett Walsh is very smart in this movie. He like reaches out the window. It, this oh, and I, I, I mentioned this to TJ while we're watching it. Like there are parts of this movie that felt very much like Llewellyn Moss and like Anton Chigurh. Like except if this is like like big jovial Anton Chigurh. Um, well, it's like a he's like playing a cross between Robert Mitchum and Night of the Hunter and like pick a Joker. You know what I mean? It's a very yeah, like, yeah. weirdly idiosyncratic performance. Well, I think like one of my favorite parts of this movie is how M.M. Walsh starts out. Like, when you first meet him, he's, like, this goofball. Like, he's a private investigator, but he's making these dumb jokes. And he's, like, yeah. hanging out on, like, make-out peak. And then it's, like, you turn a dime on him, and he's, like, oh, yeah, I'll kill him. 
Like whatever. Like, well, it's I, crazy. It's like if it's legal and there's good money in it, I'll do it. It's like, but he's got, but he's got. It's that like smile. it may not be legal. It's like, well, if it's good money and he's got that like smile on his face and that like southern yeah. draw, and it's like it's so effective. Like he's so good in this fucking movie. You know, it's like it's like how I guess maybe this is becoming like Coen Brothers Hallmark, but like how they were able to make John Goodman super menacing in Oh Brother Where Art Thou and in fucking yeah. and Barton Fink. Yeah, yeah, he's fucking crazy. Like, this is what happens when the power of a mine is. He's shooting a fucking hotel with a shotgun. Like, oh, I gotta see that movie. It's so good. Why don't you wrestle? Mm. <laughs> that, that's a great. Movie. I have the Blu-ray. Thanks to Sean. Yeah. Uh, so now, uh, M.L. Walsh is trying to find Abby. He's basically figured out that she is going out the bathroom window and into another window. Oh my god! And you see his hand like reaching around trying to figure out a way to get into that window. She fucking shuts the sash on it. And fucking him with a she yeah she like impales his hand onto the window frame with a buck knife Ugh, and then so it's like gross. it's gross and it's, it's so shot gross. so well with like him like pressed against his face like pressed against the window like yelling and, and it's just a great right amount of blood it's not like a yeah. geyser of blood but it's yeah. not like a little like it's somehow I don't know why that stuck out to me so much but it's just like the perfect amount I agree. And then he starts just raining shots through this wall, figuring that she's there. And they they, they basically trying to be near misses. And then, like a force of nature, he starts punching his way through the wall. Fucking awesome! And you still see him on the other side of the window. Like, yeah, the, well, it's hard. The, if, like, if you haven't seen the movie, it's hard to kind of understand like what this shot is. But basically, he's got his right hand pinned in the window, and with his left hand, he's reaching around the corner and shooting through the wall sideways. Like he's almost hugging the door jam with his arm. Yeah. And shooting that way, and like just four or five shots, like you know, right near Francis McDormand, who is frozen. We talk a lot about scene geography, and like this is like the perfect example of how to do it correctly. Like you know where everybody is, like you know the that how claustrophobic that situation is, and like his range of motion, like it's just right. It's Especially because you you can't even see that part of his body, but just like you said, because yeah. of the direction of the shots, you know exactly like the position yeah, he's in. It's a fucking it's a ma- like the fact that this is your first movie and you're already like yeah this is how well, com- the way that this is how confident we are like how it's shooting this fucking scene and the way the bullet holes cut through the darkness right because she's in this dark yeah. out room there's no lights and every time a bullet rips through there you get this shaft of light that just kind of pierces into the room. And and this town that they live in is wild because this is like the seventh shot with no police response in like the last half hour. Well, it's Texas. Oh, yeah, good point. Yeah. So then she comes around. There's this really cool tracking shot where she sees her revolver that Ray had brought back. Yeah. With one round left in it, and she fucking pops M.M. at Walsh. And that's your movie. Well, no, no, no. Well, oh, hang wait. on, pause, pause. You, forgot, you forgot to mention, at this point, she still doesn't realize this isn't her husband. That's right, so right. Because she, she, she goes, I'm, yeah, she says, I'm not afraid of you, Marty. And then Walsh has that great closing line. Well, if I see him, I'll give him the message. Yeah, yeah. I love that. And then they end on that song. And then she realizes it. Yeah. And then the song. And then the, if you watch it closely, the water drop is actually dancing along to the song. Oh, wow. That's wild. So yeah, because yeah, that's right. She never really knows that Marty's dead. It's like she doesn't know until her- that moment. Ray doesn't, yeah, Ray doesn't, like, really confess it. He's just kind of puzzled about why she's, like, sort of in denial about yeah. it. And so, yeah, she doesn't even know M.M. at Walsh. There's no, no, no one does. So, um, yeah, you kind of figure that Dan Hedaya has hired him, but, like, it's not like he puts it on Front Street. You right. Know what I mean, like, but well, she, well, she but, never yeah. actually sees him. She never sees him. Oh, right? That's true. The only time, the only time she would even be, like, approached, like, she had a close moment was in the beginning where he was in his car. And right. she just knew it was suspicious. She never saw MMO Walsh. Right. right. So then, so that's so that's it. That's that's blood simple. Yeah. Um it's yeah, I don't know. What I'm gonna say about it. It's real good. I it's an amazing first movie. I love but, it. Like to, to see like two guys come out this fully formed on their first movie is like unbelievable, especially because like they stayed great. You know what I mean? This wasn't like a Shyamalan thing where it's like one banger and then well, two, and then it falls off, you know? Yeah, I mean, they've one I bad movie and probably, like, what, eight legitimate masterpieces? Yeah, I mean, the Coen brothers are in a class all their own. You know what I mean? Like, I think that, like, what they've done for their entire career is kind of, like, unprecedented. Like, the level of quality of their films is just 
Like it's unreal. Like I again, I'm a huge Coen Brothers mark, but like I don't know how you couldn't be. Like I think the other thing too is that their movies, um, they do something that is very difficult to do. It's it what it's what Christopher Nolan does once in a while, but it's where it's it's artistically renowned, but also like general populations love their movies too. Yeah. Like, it, well, they're never like, they're never trying to be obtuse. You know what I mean? No, like no, no, no. ever. I would say Barton Fink is the closest they get to that. Yeah. I mean, Bart, that's Barton more Fink like, was there. Barton Fink was there. Like, Go ahead. Sorry. Metaphysical, like kind of like Ingmar Bergman type shit, but I don't think it was like overtly confusing. No, I don't think so. But what did you think, Al? Uh, I was not a fan. What? For real? <clears throat> Are you fucking with me? No, for real. What? Oh, no. Oh, elaborate. <clears throat> I didn't like it. I thought it was very. <laughs> I, I didn't care about any of the characters at all. Wow. So I didn't give a shit what happened to any of them. Wow. I couldn't hold my attention because I didn't care about anybody. Um, Wild card. Yeah. And I'm, I'm surprised because from what I've seen of the Cullen brothers, there are way more hits than misses. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So I'm surprised that uh, I felt this way about it. But I was I did not love it. Hey, can I, can I ask you a question real quick, Alec? Sure. Like, I've noticed this with you when there's things to do with, like, infidelity in movies. Like, you tend not to like it. Is that, like, a thing or am I just, like, overreaching? Um, no, I don't think so. Okay. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe I should ask my therapist. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a bad idea. Um, Ask your therapist what they think about blood symbols. Yeah. <laughs> I'll ask mine. Tell, 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 we'll get a report back tell next week. Therapist, after we talk therapist, to therapist. Tell your therapist to give it a five mile gold shuffle score. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Sandy, what do you think about blood symbols? <laughs> huh? Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> you telling your therapist to shut up? <laughs> after she responded, huh? Oh, yes. I, I don't really think that's a positive uh, therapy relationship. Well, that's why I'm in therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that is well, Alex, the wild card for a reason. That's you know what, but he's honest. I, I appreciate that. Uh, anything else we want to talk about before we get into five knuckle shots? It's a. I, I love this move. Oh, go ahead. I did like the song. That song is oh, like, yeah, yeah great. absolute yeah, banger. If you were the Neil Diamond, cut, man, you really I, I, I would have turned it off. Neil, that's like the worst what's, what's possible song. What Neil Diamond song? I can't remember, like, but it's one you've heard it's before. It's nothing. No, like, uh, and the song's thematic, too. Like, it's just that same fucking, like, I don't trust yeah. anybody fucking, and it just goes on and on. Um, I, I think this movie uh, is one thing I did want to mention, and I think I mentioned it in one of those, like, shark movies we watched, but this movie, nobody's, like, super hot. I mean, Francis McDormand's really cute, but it's not, like, yeah, they get more room to act, I think, because they're regular-ish looking people. I don't know why I like that, but I do. I, I also when, like that. When Dan Day is the second best looking member of a cast. Well, I feel like well, it's a third. movie with character actors, right? Like, it's not like yeah. there's no like lead, like leading person. Like, you don't have a Chris Pratt in this movie. Chris <laughs> Pratt's blood simple. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just, I mean, if they made this movie nowadays, the cast would all look like models. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, It'd be Baby Goose with well, Emmett like Wall. It'd be like that fucking uh, Straw Dogs remake that they did. Oh, where James like, Marsden. Yeah, James Marsden is Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, okay. yeah fucking uh, one of the one of the Hollywood Chris's would be Nor uh, Francis McDormand. I think it was like Kate Bosworth was the female lead. In that that what a fucking terrible. Remake. Hopefully, it was Hemsworth. Yeah, Chris Hemsworth as Abby. He should be he should be the lead in everything. It's <laughs> hard to disagree with that. Handsome for a murder. All right, uh, five knuckle shuffle time. <laughs> well, <laughs> I guess we go with Alec. It's gonna be uh, like a two. I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna give it a four. I can oh, I can see why people like it, especially like Cohen Brothers fame, but it just didn't do it for me. I wonder if noir is going to be like Western with you. Like you're just not, you just don't like the genre. I mean, maybe we're going to find, we're gonna find you, out. Well, you liked you like LA Confidential, though, right? Yeah, that's yeah. that's a neo noir, definitely. I don't know. Yeah. You love Blade Runner? No, he doesn't. I, I know. <laughs> I didn't like westerns until I saw Tombstone. So yeah. like Tombstone, it's going to take that one 
All right. Okay. Banger to like. Well, now we have a I quest think, for this week. I think too. I might actually have the one that you'll like on deck. Well, that means Sean like, is next like, pick. Fargo's great. The Big Lebowski's great. Oh, Brother's great. Like, they've made banger after banger after banger. Raising Arizona. Then they made the Lady Killers. Yeah. That's then a bunch of more bangers. Which one of you owned on DVD when we lived yeah, together? Yeah, that was me. <laughs> one of them were like Blockbuster. Like, <laughs> yeah, you get the three for ten or yeah. whatever. I mean, and I got two, and I was like, well. It's like the Browns. Like Tom, Tom Hanks is like, like yeah, on paper, it should work. How bad could it be? Yeah. Yeah. Tom Hanks. Yeah. Tom Hanks and the Coen Brothers. It should be gold. Yeah. yeah. It was not. It's Ooh. a remake too, which is the weirdest part of that whole movie. Doesn't it have Andre three thousand in it? Uh, no, it's got, or maybe it's got Marlon Wayans in it. Hmm. All right, so four for Malik. Uh, yeah, four. Uh, TJ. I mean, it's a ten. I fucking <laughs> love this movie. I uh, unapologetically like this is a. I think this is even like upper tier like Coens for me. Like I, I love all their movies, uh, but uh, I. I really love this movie because I think that the confidence that they show, it's like Sean just said, like to come out of the gate this fully formed and to shoot, like I said this about Ari Aster with Hereditary, like I feel like that movie, and even with uh, uh, Robert Eggers with The Witch, like both of those movies are shot with such confidence, like where it's like they they know what they wanted to say. I feel like there's a lot of directors, even directors that I like, where their first couple movies are like they started doing shorts and it's like they're kind of trying to find their voice. And I have a lot of respect for for filmmakers that are just like, no, this is us. And like the writing is so sharp and the way they direct actors, like we were talking about M. Night Shyamalan, how awful he is at directing actors. Like every performance in this movie is great. And I would go so far as to say that the guy that plays uh, the man, I forgot his name already. Uh, Ray? Ray. I would guarantee you that every performance Ray has in other films is not nearly as good as this. You know what I mean? Like, and, and yeah, also he's, he's, he's a little stiff, but it works for what he's doing. Yeah. It goes, it kind of goes to like what we're talking about with streets of fire uh, a few weeks ago with yeah. that actor where it's like, yeah, he's like really stiff, but he's perfect for what the character is asking for. Like, I, I don't know. I'm a huge fan of this movie. It's why I picked it. Uh, so yeah, it's a 10 for me, dog. Uh, Sean. Uh, it's also a 10. This is one of my favorite movies, like, full stop. I think we've talked about this movie several times. I think you and I bought our Blu-rays at the same time at Movie Stop. Yeah. A no, I got mine ago. at Food Lion. Here's <laughs> 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 a Movie Stop. I got mine at Food Lion. Um, this movie succeeds in something that, like, movies don't generally with the mood and, like, the temperature. This movie feels hot and muggy and uncomfortable yeah. and everybody's sweaty and fucking nobody's clothes fit right and there's condensation on everything. Like, the, like, oppressive heat and humidity of this movie, like, it, it's something that is, you just don't see it in other things. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, but now the great performances, I love a noir story. It's a very simple story, although it does have like turns, but it, it again, like I think Gogs mentioned it, the, the twists are for the characters. It's not set up for us to be confused. Like we're very aware of what's going on, which yeah. makes it even more like, like you're frustrated for the characters. Cause it's like, why haven't you figured this out yet? Like it, it's, it's right there, yeah. you know? There is, so, like, I, I... Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was gonna say it adds a, it weirdly adds tension in a way that usually would be like you not knowing would you be tense, but it's like because you know what's going to happen, like you're waiting for it the whole time, and it's just like fuck. Well, it's not just like a horror movie, like we're like don't go in the room, yeah. Like yeah. Well, there's a, there's a scene I talk about a lot because I think it's like really amazing in a sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, which is a Chan Wu Park movie, and yeah. the main character is deaf. And there's a scene where a little girl drowns and the main character who again is deaf is completely unaware of it. But you as the audience are like, stop, please somebody do something like you see it the whole time. And I think yeah. like there's something really effective about that. Like, I think that, you know, we were talking last week about M. Night Shyamalan, how he feels like he's always got to put the twist at the end to like keep the audience guessing. But like, you can write the story where the characters' reactions mean more than what the... You don't always need to surprise the audience. You know what I mean? I mean, you can surprise them surprise them in ways of how the characters react to things, but, like, as far as, like, keeping the story 
in like a cloud of fog is not necessary. Like, yeah, I, because like a lot of times it's the way of the story. A lot of times in those movies where they're trying to set up a twist, it, it revolves, it relies on them removing information from the movie that would otherwise be there. And it just, it's, that's why like a lot of those dialogue, a lot of those turns and plot points seem really odd because they had to, instead of crafting it around that, they just like, okay, well, what parts do we have to take out basically? So nobody will figure out what's going on. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, uh, huge fan. Uh, who hasn't gone? Gogs hasn't yeah, gone. I'm not gone yet. Um, so it's like it's a four. It's no. a four. <laughs> so it makes this movie a mess. Now it's a it's like eight nine territory for me. It's certainly not my favorite Coen Brothers movie, but I I think I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with eight. But I really enjoyed it, and there's lots and lots of stuff in this movie that you could just sort of see, <laughs> like like what they would do later. And like how I get TJR said, like how confidently they did what they did in this movie. And to tab, I don't know if there's a I, who's had a stronger. This is an incredibly strong first film. Like what oh, was? Yeah. I mean, what was like Edgar Wright's first film? I'm trying to think. People just make bangers. Edgar Wright's Edgar first Wright, film was Shaun, Shaun of the Dead. Dead. Brilliant movie. Um, and Night Shyamalan. And Night Shyamalan. Yeah. Actually, six cents. good. good. Um, yeah. Then, uh, and like Robert Edgar's, what about the Witch? Uh, yeah, like Matthew Matthew Vaughn, Matthew Vaughn, yeah, like Lara Cake. But yeah. you, but you don't, you see, you would go on getting Matthew like, Vaughn's actually a pretty good example too, because Lara Cake is very confident and like very much of it's his, yeah, it's what he will make later, right? Yeah. Edgar yeah, Wright, this rules. is the movie I will make, yeah, right. Edgar Wright's another great example. So Edgar Wright like put his flag in the ground, like this is my style, like I'm gonna do. The funny, but also, you know, the dramatic. Uh, like the Watiti heart. is a good example yeah. of that, too. Yeah. Like, uh, I think Eagle versus Shark was his first. Is that what that movie's called? That's, that is what it's called. Yeah. This movie's called Boy. Oh, I haven't seen that. Maybe I don't know. Then I take that back. I I thought Eagle versus Shark was his first movie. That is a good I'm movie. really fond of Dead Shark. Alive as a first movie. If that's What's his first that? movie. Dead no. Alive, uh, Brain Dead, Peter Jackson. Oh, yeah. Peter Jackson rocks. So yeah, I mean, like it's very hard to come up with like someone that's just, and then they they put their stamp on it immediately. Like this is the kind of movies we will make, and then to see it progress through the career and have such a tremendous career after it. Like I mean, I can't believe I didn't say David Lynch or Quentin Tarantino, Racer or Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, yeah, Quentin Tarantino, Reservoir Dogs. That's a great example. I mean, Reservoir Dogs is a fucking banger. But like you know, Francis McDormand's amazing in it. Like like M. Emmett Walsh is so fucking cool, and Dana Day is just. I can't think of another. I mean, I can't name a ton of Dan Hedaya's movies, but like it's like this is the clueless. Made the Roxbury. Yeah, yeah. Out. He's in a lot of movies, but this Alien is, Four. This is definitely Alien a movie 4. where he gets the most shine. Like, yeah, he's he, wonderful. Yeah. yeah, he really is. So this, no, I, I liked it a lot. So this is a. I think this is a strong start for. Well, we'll find out. We'll see how October Noir goes. All right. Well, Sean's pick. Yeah, Sean I want to hear this. Got a Sean, got? To, to sway out. Uh. It's uh, Christopher Nolan's Memento. Oh, I, I've never seen that. You've never seen that's a neo noir. Hell yeah! Oh, hey. oh, oh I'm excited. Hey. This. <laughs> this is gonna be wild. I oh, love shit. I, I've got. I, it might be a spoiler, but I love Memento. Yeah, but I haven't seen it in years. I remember loving Memento. I still. I also have not seen it. I had long time. Kudos to Sean to not pick the following. I thought that was the Christopher Nolan movie that he. Liked. I was going to because I've never seen that, but it's you never it's seen like, the following. Oh, it's really no. Good. It's technically a short though, isn't it? I think it's like an hour and ten minutes. Even I better, it's like forty minutes. Well, I don't it? think it's actually feature length. Yeah, I have double check, but, with but yeah, Memento is a movie I love yeah, and saw a billion times, no. but haven't seen in it's probably six or seven years. I'm excited to rewatch it. To be honest, I have fucking memento disease. <laughs> That's a cool movie. All right, yeah. all right, hell yeah! Fucking God Pierce getting it done. All right, I'm very excited about and Joey it. Pants or whatever his name is. Yeah, Joey yeah and Trinity and, and Carrie, Trinity. Yeah, yeah, Carrie Ann Moss is in that movie. Yeah, is Switch in it. <laughs> Apoc is <laughs> not like these. She's uh, in the not so, like this cut. Gonna throw it out there. Carrie Ann Moss still holding it together in that new Matrix. Oh yeah. She's got a big manly jaw, like a. Like. Yeah, I, always, I always had a thing for her. I thought she was out. Yeah. <laughs> big, big limp. Big a- anyway. All right. All right. So next Memento. week, Memento. I am legit excited to watch Memento. Yeah, I haven't watched it in a while. I'm very excited about this. I forgot it was Christopher Nolan. Really? Oh, not me. I, I remember 
that was a movie where where you actually sought out who the director was like yeah well, yeah, I, yeah i didn't see it in the theater obviously because it was like a super no. indie, like theatrical but it came out at blockbuster and i remember anthony rented it and he's like dude you gotta watch this fucking movie and we watched it the next day and it blew me the fuck away and i was like who is this guy and again this is like like right after we graduated high school so it's like what else did he direct? Oh, he directed this movie, The Following. So we had to drive to like Hollywood Video in like Reisterstown <laughs> to rent it, and then we watched that. That was really good too. We're like, this guy rules. Was The Following and, his first and, movie? Yeah, but then his next fucking movie was Insomnia, and we're like, yeah, oh, that's man. bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was funny because I I remember when they when they announced him for Batman Begins, and like I was like, the Memento guy, like yeah, that's yeah. gonna be different. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, and now Christopher Nolan, uh, I, controversially, one of my favorite directors. I love yeah, him. and he's like disappeared he, completely up his own asshole. I, you know, I even like the fact that he's completely. I, I, I don't know. I <laughs> stand can't argue for, it. I like, stand. For I still like Nolan. it, but he has collapsed into himself at this point. He has, but he still makes. I mean, he still makes good movies. When he stops yeah. making good movies, I'll be like, "Fuck that guy!" But up until that point, trust the process. I'm trying to find the runtime of following, and I can't find it. <laughs> I'll say, oh, yeah. But uh, anyway, I'm I'm very very excited to watch uh, Memento. I I'm pumped. That's a great pick, Sean. You know, yeah. I'll Thank push you. all my chips in on this one. If he does it, if this doesn't okay. work, this might not. Following, be... yeah, I was right. Following is seventy minutes long. Oh, so okay. An hour and ten minutes. So yeah. it's ten minutes longer than Tetsuo the Iron Man. So you know how I feel <laughs> about that. Hell yeah, that's a double feature. <laughs> that it, man, that would be a good ass double feature. <laughs> All right, everybody. Sean, you got anything right. to promote? No. Are you going to do some fitness videos on TikTok now that you're all jacked? No, I'm going to wait till I get really jacked, and then I'm just going to do socialist commentary with my shirt off on YouTube. Hell yeah. Nice. I Shit. can't wait. You got to unbeta some of this socialism. <laughs> That'll be you and Hassan. You're all yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just eating each other. No, I think Hassan has got like a foot on you. That guy's tall. Yeah, yeah. He has, he has a large uh, Middle <laughs> Eastern gentleman. <laughs> large middle eastern man yeah. uh, all right <laughs> bye everybody eat your own ass all right boys, boys. <laughs> eat your own ass then forget about it then eat your own ass again because you're hungry <laughs>